to 25, the message, the birth of Jesus. The birth of Jesus took place like this. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. Before they came to the marriage bed, um, Joseph discovered that she was pregnant. It was by the Holy Spirit, but he didn't know that. Joseph, distressed but noble, determined to take care of things quietly so Mary would not be disgraced. While he was trying to figure a way out, he had a dream. God's angel spoke in the dream. Joseph, son of David, don't hesitate to get married. Mary's pregnancy is spirit-conceived. God's Holy Spirit has made her pregnant. She will bring a son to birth. And when she does, you, Joseph, will name him Jesus. God saves, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Watch for this. A virgin will get pregnant and bear a son. They will name him Emmanuel. Hebrew for God is with us. Then Joseph woke up. He did exactly what God's angel commanded in the dream. He married Mary, but did not consummate the marriage until she had the baby. He named the baby Jesus. Well, welcome this morning from me. I'd just like to thank everybody who's involved in the launch of the living rooms. I can't, I can't really avoid saying that because it was a fantastic day on Friday. And the leading hosts of this, the living rooms is a multi-church project in the town with all the leading churches being part of it, which is just fantastic to see the unity. The leading hosts are from our church, but lots of the volunteers and the trustees are from other churches as well. And this morning, I just want to again pay tribute to Joe Swain, Chloe Hickford, Pam Baston, and Rachel Parrott. Just, just give them a little round of applause this morning. Because those guys, in conjunction with the trustees, have made the living rooms what it is. And we just thank the Lord this morning for his blessing. We're not all about numbers, but in the first less than four weeks up to Friday that since we've opened, excluding professionals and excluding agencies, we've had 185 visits. Now, one or two of them may be more than once, but that is a lot of people that have come through. And so, as we opened the living rooms on Friday, we did so. The chairman of Hambledon District Council, Kevin Hardesty, and his wife opened it. The mayor was there. There were people from the health service, the crisis team, from different voluntary agencies, volunteers, people from the church, church leaders, church ministers. It was just a great day to celebrate this new thing that God is doing in our town. And Ruth Rice was there. At the center of the living rooms is our Renew Wellbeing model. And Ruth Rice, who was the founder of that, who kind of seeded all that in our hearts when she came up a couple of years ago. She was there and she spoke well also. And it's great to be able to speak in front of all those people about what the church is doing, what faith is all about, and that faith can change people's lives and people's perceptions of who God is. And so the church is not just sat here this morning or in the Anglican church, the Methodist church, the URC, the Catholics. We're out there in the center of our town being Jesus. You know, our vision statement for this church is, is that, that we call to be like Jesus at the heart of North Yorkshire 
and actually, North Allerton <laughs> is the heart of North Yorkshire. It's the county town. And we're, we are right in the centre of that, not just as our church, but as the churches united in North Allerton. Down Garthway Arcade, we could hardly be more central. So thank you. If you want to have a look in sometime, please do so, but be respectful of the fact it's a space where there are people who have need. But you're very welcome to pop in. At the moment, we're open Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays and Saturdays, 10 till 1. If you want to have a look around outside of the times that we're open, then if you see one of us, then we'll gladly show you around outside of those towns. So this morning, we are in our theme of invitation this year. And this wonderful painting is by a very famous, well-known artist who's embarrassingly with us again this morning, Terry West. It definitely deserves a round of applause. Come on. And he's painted this picture of the Bethlehem scene with a painting of North Allerton underneath it. So there you have, and we're saying this year, you're invited to lots of stuff. You're invited to come to church. You're invited to the services that we've got on. We have some invitations. They're on the foyer there. You can invite people along to the various events that are taking place in the church. We really want to invite people to come and see who Jesus is, don't we? He's not just the baby in the stable, but he's the saviour of the world. And so you can turn it the other way up, and there you've got North Allerton at the top, and it's just that interface between the North Allerton and Bethlehem. So this morning we're inviting you to make a home. That's what Joseph and Mary did when they got this bombshell of news. They made a home for the Saviour, and we have that little decoration that was made by the younger people in the church. Just as I was thinking about this whole business about making a home, just this morning before I came out, I heard something on the news about homelessness. You know, Jesus, most of his time, was homeless. Okay, he, was, he had a home in Nazareth until the time he was 30. And Luke tells us it was about the age of 30 that he started his public ministry. In his home, I guess he would have been taught all the joinery skills because his dad was a joiner. Joe was the joiner. And he would be a carpenter, a joiner. And then he moved into rabbi training. And then at the age of about 30, he went out in his public ministry as a rabbi. But from that time, he was relatively homeless. You know, somebody came to him and said, uh, can we come to your home, Jesus? And you know what his reply was? Well, the foxes have holes to live in, the birds of the air have nests, but I don't have a home. The startling statistic, and I'm, I'm not making a party political point, I am making a political point this morning, is that according to Shelter, last year there were 320,000 people in the UK who were classed as homeless. Now that doesn't include people in temporary accommodation. It doesn't include people who are sofa surfing. 320,000 people. And 5,000 people living on the streets. Apparently last year there were 726 deaths, up 22% on the year before, of people because of homelessness, because of living on the streets, or because of not having a place to stay. And as the, I think, the fifth richest nation in the world, it's a sad indictment upon our nation that we're not doing more about this. And I pray that whoever is in government this next week will do something positive. It's not been a big issue that's been mentioned this year. It has been mentioned occasionally, but it's not a big issue on the agenda of many politicians' manifestos. But let's pray that as a nation we will do something. I know that the answers are not simple, and I deal with homeless people from time to time here. It's not a simple solution, but it's not good enough to say we can't do anything about it and to push it into the corner. We have to try, we have to put resources behind it, and we have to do something about it. So we're inviting you to, to make a home today. 
I wonder what home means to you. I know when I, I used to do a lot of travelling, when I was doing travelling towards the end of my trip, I'd be looking forward to going home. You know what it's like if you go on holiday, after you've had two or three weeks, you, you kind of think, oh, it'd be nice to be at home. Well, maybe you wouldn't, but <laughs> I do. So what is home? What do you think about? What, what comes to mind when you think of home? Safe place. A safe place, yeah. Comfy bed, yes. Actually, it's something I need, actually, for my bad back, but never mind. Family and dogs. Family and dogs. Shelter. Shelter. Privacy. Thank you, Yvonne. Sorry? Nagging. <laughs> Nagging, said Paul. So there's a bit of a domestic going on here. I give you permission in this congregation to give your wife a kiss. <laughs> come on, do it. Oh, come on. Don't be bashful. <laughs> we need to move on. But home should be a place of harmony. <laughs> Often isn't, but there you go. They say that home is where the heart is, and that's true as well. So this baby who came into Bethlehem became the saviour, and he wants to make his home with you. And maybe many of you will say, well, you know, Jesus is already at home. My challenge to you today is, is that home just a place for Jesus to pass through on Sundays, and then he's kind of not quite so welcome Monday through Saturday? Or is he a home at Easter when we remember the cross and the resurrection? Or is it just a home for Jesus, maybe at Christmas when we remember his birth? There's a well-known phrase, which I'm sure many of you know, which says, if Jesus is not Lord of all... He's not Lord at all. And I wonder this morning, for all of us, if we can be challenged again about the home that we make in our lives for Jesus. What parts of our home or our life that we deliberately don't invite Jesus to be in? Because we're embarrassed, or because it's not what we want God to be involved in. He doesn't want to just be a temporary guest, a lodger, a passer-through, but he wants permanent residence in all of our hearts and our lives. And when he gets that, it will make a huge difference. And that's our challenge this morning. Matthew and Luke's gospel cover the birth of Jesus. Luke more, when we read it from Mary's perspective, Joseph's perspective is shown more in the passage that Charlie so, well, brilliantly read to us this morning. That young man has a career, that's for sure. So the scene is set in Matthew chapter 1. It's all going well. Mary, perhaps about 12, 13, 14 years of age, and Joseph are planning their future together. And everything in the garden is rosy. Joseph was pledged to be married to Mary, or betrothed, as some passages say. Maybe they were planning a wedding. I kind of know something about that just at the moment, although it's not mine for my daughter's wedding. I'm sure they wouldn't have all the complications that we have in 21st century weddings. But there'll be all the stuff they'll be thinking about and looking forward to that. So the way it was in those days, the Jewish marriages started with an engagement, usually kind of arranged by the parents when their children were still kids, really. And then prior to marriage, couples began a year-long betrothal similar to marriage, except for sexual intimacy. The betrothal was binding could only be terminated legally by death or divorce. And a person whose betrothed dies is considered a widow or a widower. So this was really uh, unlike our current system in the UK, but it was really very binding. So they were, they were working up to getting married, but they weren't there yet. And then this huge bombshell comes. 
she's pregnant. Of course, everybody's mind immediately comes to the conclusion, really the only logical conclusion, that she's had sex with a man somewhere. Babies don't just come down by a stalk. And in Jewish law, you can read it in Deuteronomy 22, if this was found to be, if she was pregnant, then both the man and the woman would be stoned. That was the Jewish law. Unless the act took place outside of the city where the woman couldn't cry for help, if that was the case, she would be spared and the man would be stoned. But she was pregnant. And so this bit of news was very, very serious because they were Jewish man and woman. And the implication was that adultery or fornication had taken place. I wonder what it would be like to be a fly on the wall when Mary came to tell Joseph about that. I wonder what she said. Oh, it's a difficult one, wasn't it? And Mary would say that she'd been visited by an angel, so the story gets more bizarre as it goes on. You know, how many people have been visited by a physical angel and heard from the Lord in that way? Sounds as if Mary's unhinged. Something's gone wrong here. I wonder what the Facebook messages would be like and the Instagram and the Twitter, if it was in a modern day, what was happening here. It was a small community. I wonder what was going on in the public media. But they were in, under Roman law, so death wouldn't have taken place because the Romans didn't allow the Jews, the Jewish people, to give the death sentence. So this is the scene we find ourselves here, this drama of a young girl, we don't know how Joseph was, facing this. And then the angel, of course, then appears to Joseph with a similar story. So this morning, very briefly, I have three simple points to you about what making a home for Jesus means. Because at the end of this passage, it would seem that Mary and Joseph, clearly God had chosen people who would listen to him and who would accept something that seemed, on the face of it, bizarre. The Bible calls Joseph a righteous man. We read that when the angel comes to Mary in Luke chapter 2, it's, may it be as you've said, Lord. What kind of obedience and what kind of acceptance is there? Despite Mary's age, these were very spiritually mature people. So making a home for Jesus from this passage means this. A home for Jesus responds to the voice of God. Now, we don't hear, generally speaking, from angels today or directly from God in an audible voice, although some have claimed to have heard that, and I'm not to deny that. We respond to God's voice as we read the Bible, as we pray, as we hear today. Maybe you're hearing from God's voice through my words this morning, through the words of Scripture, through the words that we've been singing together, through the words that the children have said. You can hear from God through the children just as much, often more so, than adults. So the angel appeared to Joseph in a dream after a very bad day in the office. He got the news. He was maybe doing some carpentry, doing some joinery. That's what Joseph did. Maybe he was working in his lockup. And the angel comes and speaks to Joseph about the plan. Maybe then Joseph went to see his dad. That's what he might do. His dad was called Heli, Luke chapter 3 tells us. It might be one of those father and son chats. Well, son, I don't know about this lad, but uh, it's a bad situation. <laughs> you know, you're going to have to divorce her. It's, it's lucky the Romans are here or she'd both be stoned. Maybe it was that kind of chat. We don't know. 
But it seemed like there was no alternative to be divorced. That's what the Bible says. He was about to put her away and divorce her because that was the only thing he could do. But because he was a righteous man, he was a right living man before God, he, he didn't want to publicly humiliate her. He wanted to do it in as kind a way possible so he would do it discreetly and it would just be, you know, we'd do the best we can. We make the best of a bad job here would be the advice maybe that uh, Heli would give to his son, uh, Joseph. He didn't want to cause disgrace. Joseph's reputation would be at stake. Could he possibly go through with this with a woman who'd been with another man? What would people believe? Whatever the message that Joseph and Mary put out there, what would people really believe? They would think there's more to this than meets the eye. Something's gone wrong. Mary's had one of those moments with a man and now she's saying she's heard from an angel and this baby's from the Holy Spirit. Well, I don't know. I've heard some stories in my time, but that takes the biscuit, is what people would think, wouldn't they? Just stand back from the situation. We know the story so well, we can say, oh, yes, that's the way it would be. But actually, that's the reality of what would happen. Joseph was told the baby's from the Holy Spirit. And so Joseph and Mary responded in obedience to God's voice. We hear today from the Bible... We hear through prayer, as I've previously mentioned, and sometimes others. The question is, in the home that we make for Jesus, are we prepared to really take on board what the Bible says in its fullness? We're not necessarily without questioning it, without understanding it, but without saying this can't possibly be because it's not logic. So four times does Joseph respond to an angel from the Lord without questioning it. It's not just this once. So we find this once in verse 20 of chapter 1. We find in, in verse 13 of chapter 2, Joseph again hears from an angel of the Lord and is told when Herod's about to kill all the, the babies to flee to Egypt. And so again, how would he finance that? Where would he live? This is a call from God via an angel to do something which is probably, you know, bizarre. The natural thing would be to go to his hometown. But God tells him to go to Egypt and he goes. Again, in chapter 2, verse 19, after Herod had died, so the voice from the Lord speaks again to Joseph. It's now right time to go back to Israel. Mm. Again, that was a risky thing to do, going back to Israel when Herod was killing. Maybe that killing spree would have been taken over by others. It's a big risk. Sometimes when we hear from God, he asks us to do things that are risky, that we can't see the next step along the way. He goes back to Israel. And again, the fourth time we read in verse 22 of chapter 2, again, the angel comes to Joseph and he says, you're to go to Galilee. If we are to make a true home for Jesus, we must hear and respond to God's voice. He will speak. The question is, are we listening? And however tough and unreasonable and unrealistic the requests he makes, are we prepared to believe that they're ultimately for our benefit and for our good? see some people puzzling with that one today because maybe God has been speaking to you and you've been saying hmm not too sure about that we'll put that to one side God calls us to repent and to receive Jesus not the baby in Bethlehem's manger but the the baby that became the savior of the world the baby that became a man and died upon a cross this is not logic this is not how do we work that one through how do we explain all that it seems far-fetched. It seems like a fairy tale. This is us responding to God's voice. So my question to you this morning is, what has God been calling you to do about your relationships, your money, your family, your work? 
your future plans, your thoughts, your aspirations. If Jesus is in the house, we should respond like Joseph. Is God calling you today to step up to something you can't fully understand or perhaps feel it's too much? If you make a home for Jesus, the deal is you respond when God speaks. The second point is a home for Jesus rises to God's challenges. What was being asked of Joseph was a really tough challenge. He had to believe what had been told by Mary and the angel and to take them home and to make a home. So not go back and divorce, which was probably the proper thing to do, but to move forward and to move from betrothal to marriage. There would be talk for months, perhaps years ahead about this. Perhaps the stigma would never go away. And there were four things that Joseph had to do. First of all, he had to completely adjust his plans to accommodate God's plans, however challenging they would be. Sometimes we're too fixed and we won't budge. Moses had some plans to move into retirement when he was 80. He was just happy looking after the sheep. Don't trouble me with anything too challenging. I'm 80. Mm. Hello? The voice of the Lord comes through the bush. I want you to be a great leader for the next 40 years. Mm. That certainly scuppered his plans. He had to secondly live with the wagging tongues of disbelief of others. Don't underestimate this. This would have been an issue for years. Even when Jesus moved into his full-time ministry, I bet there were some people who said, well, I remember 30 years ago. Do you know what happened? Let me just tell you. Come and have a coffee in Nero. I'll tell you about it. Don't know if there was any Nero in Nazareth at that time. It's a tall order to believe that Mary had become pregnant without male intervention. That takes some believing. Not to mention all the angels' stuff. Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit. Fundamental to our faith. He's 100% divine. It is 100% man. I can only be understood by faith. And standing against the wagging tongues, standing against those who would say, you can't possibly believe all that stuff in the 21st century, is a tall thing to do. And I would ask you to pray today for Benny and Ankuta's son, Junior, who started a new school in September and is a lovely Christian lad. And he is now getting quite severe issues, bullying of one sort or another in his school because he's the only Christian there in that school. The only other person of faith is a Muslim and the rest are at him all the time and just isolating him. It's just very subtle and not so subtle the way in which he's being treated by not just his fellow students but by the teachers as well. So pray for Junior. He's facing some challenges. Third thing Joseph had to do is he had to marry Mary and make a home for her amidst all the controversy. And he had to refrain from having any benefits of being married, any sexual intimacy with her until Jesus was born. And the fourth challenge he had was to come to terms with the fact that their son was a Christ, a promised one. What a challenge that was. So what challenges, my question to you this morning, do we need to rise to to make our lives real homes for Jesus? with the reproach that comes from others and the loss of things we might expect to be our rights. Of Moses, it was said in Hebrews 11, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. 
He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. We know that when Zacchaeus made a home for Jesus, Jesus said, I'm coming home to you. He had to make some big changes and big challenges in his life. He had to admit to the stuff he'd been doing. He had to give all the money back. What are the challenges that God is asking us to, to make in order to really make Jesus a home? And finally, the third point I get from this passage is that making a home for Jesus, not only we need to be responding to God's voice, to rising to God's challenge, but make a home for Jesus results in God's favour. The word favour is the same as the word grace in the Greek. It's the word charis. And because the favour of God was upon Jesus, when he comes and he makes his home in every part of our lives, that favour is transferred to us. We've read it this morning. Emmanuel, God with us. When Jesus is in every part of our home, it's God that's with us, and we share the favour that Jesus had. It was always every Jewish woman's longing and desire, wish, that they would bear the Messiah. And here Mary was that woman. She was indeed blessed virgin. You know, sometimes we put down Mary in our evangelical culture, but Mary was truly a blessed woman of God. David put it this way as he looked at the favour and blessing of God. He said, surely goodness and mercy will follow me, despite what happens all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Even though I've walked through the valley of a shadow of death, he'll be with me. This is the presence of God in our home. So as Mary and Joseph continued to do what God had asked them, Jesus was taken to the temple. And then at the Passover, just a few years later when he was 12, it says there at the end of that passage, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and men. The favour of God that was upon Jesus when he is in our home comes upon our lives. For Joseph and Mary, it was favour to protect them, moving them to Egypt, and also for guidance to move them into Galilee. The favour of the Lord is a great blessing to us and can be upon us and sit upon us. So do you want God's blessing and favour in your life? Then make a home for Jesus today. And if you've never made that home then today you can do that. We're going to take communion in a moment and that could be a great moment where you say, Lord, please, I want to make a home for you in my life. Come into my heart. I turn my back on the past and my sin. I repent, I turn away, I confess and I embrace not the baby in Bethlehem but the saviour who died upon a cross. However illogical that process was, that's the process that God has used in showing his love toward us. Just let's bow our heads for a moment and reflect on what we've heard Lord, this morning, your call to us is that we would make a home for Jesus. You're inviting us to make a home for Jesus afresh today. And Lord, for those who have never done that, I pray that by your Spirit, you would lovingly direct them to the cross this morning where they can receive Christ, his forgiveness, and that he will enter in. And for many of us in this room, yes, we've made a home for Jesus, but Lord, we ask afresh that you'd cause us to rise to the challenges of what that really means in every part of our lives. That the, the home that we make for Jesus would be so bright with him that it would shine out to a needing world outside. In Jesus' name we pray.